You're listening to a sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Hang around after the message to learn more about Mission Ridge. Sermon notes for this message, or any of our other messages, can be found on our mobile app. Just search for Mission Ridge Church in Google Play or the App Store. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we're continuing our series called Coronation of a King. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark. We spent the first seven weeks of the year looking at the 10 parables that Mark presents. So every year we, we take some time to look at the parables because uh, Jesus is doing usually more than what I grew up learning in those parables. And we want to explore what he's doing. And Mark captures some things differently than the other gospel writers. He's got a different intent. Remember, he's writing... Uh, to a Roman population, probably right to Rome itself. Uh, There were three audiences of that time. Uh, You had the Jewish audience, you had the Greek audience that's in modern-day Turkey, and then you had the Roman audience. And and the cultures were a little different, the conversations were different, and each, each of the Gospels is written to a specific audience, and Mark is written to uh, a Roman audience. And we talked last week or in the last couple of weeks about the uh, four pillars of Roman, the Greco-Roman society, uh, which we see in America today, education, healthcare, entertainment, and sports. Like these, these four pillars are well established within the U.S. And we lead these four areas worldwide, right? Education. By and large, this is the country you come to if you want to get educated. Healthcare. We have the best healthcare. There's some places leading in other areas, in, in, in maybe one or two areas, but by and large, the best healthcare is found here. Entertainment. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. In sports, I mean, other than uh, what my uh, uh, one teacher that I can remember his name, Ray Stuckey, um, call me football. Uh, he, that's what he calls soccer. Uh, other than soccer, like, we lead, what? <laughs> no, that's what he called it. I'm sorry. That was the 80s. Come on. That was actually okay in the 80s. I can't say that anymore. And we'll have to uh, bleep that out when we put this on the website but, uh, and on our app. But there you go. Um, but, yeah, these four pillars. And, and so this conversation that Mark is having with this Roman people is a conversation that we should gravitate towards because we we are so Roman. Like if there was a country like Rome today, a country that, you know, Rome dominated the world at that time, if there's a country that dominates today, that would be us. And, And if there's a country that we model ourselves after, it'd be Rome. Right, And we invite you to ask these two questions that are in your bulletin. Uh, why did Jesus live? We talk about why Jesus died. That's a common, common conversation within Christianity. But why did he live? What was he doing? Why did he live that way? Why was that important? Why did the gospel writers document what they documented? What were they trying to communicate about what they saw Jesus do. 
And, and, and the second question is, what was the gospel message of Jesus? Because the gospel uh, that I was presented with growing up within the church was found in Romans. The people that I gravitate towards would take me through Romans Road. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we showed a picture of Romans 3.23, 6.23. Was it Romans 8.10? Um, and... And yet Jesus said none of those things. And so what was he saying when he preached the gospel? Mark captures right at the beginning of his gospel. What was he saying? What was he communicating? And, and what should we pick up on? So these are the things that we want to answer as we go. And I'll tell you, one of the things that Jesus did or, or, or why he lived was because he needed to teach us some things. Mark's going to let us know that Jesus needed to teach us some things, and we should pay attention to that. Mark 1, 21 and 22, they went to Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. So right off, right out of the gate, first chapter, uh, he invites, he gets baptized. He invites some people to join him on his quest. Fellowship the ring, as it were, and... Um, and then he starts teaching. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So not only was this a priority, but he was apparently very good at this. This was shocking to them. They were astounded at what he was teaching and, 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 and the modality, the, the way he taught. And, uh, you know, throughout, throughout Mark... Mark identifies three groups of people that call Jesus teacher and, and, and multiple times. In fact, these three groups each call him teacher three times. And, and you might be thinking, well, yeah, rabbi, teacher, a uh, different word. Mark captures three other times where the disciples call him or someone calls him rabbi. But this is a Greek word that, that means I cause you to learn that Mark uses. And so this is distinct from rabbi, which is the Hebrew word, uh, which is a Hebrew title. And so why is Mark highlighting this? Uh, the disciples three times called Jesus teacher. Uh, the first time was in a storm. We'll, we'll actually uh, look at that account. A second time was when, when an outsider was casting out demons, and they're like, we stopped him. <laughs> and Jesus says, hey, if they're not against me, they're for me, so don't do that. Uh, and then the last time the disciples called Jesus uh, teacher is when the, two of the brothers go to him and say, hey, grant our request. When you, when you come in your kingdom, teacher, which is kind of an odd phrasing, why call him teacher at that point? Um, let you wrestle with that one. And then uh, the crowd, three different times the crowd calls them teacher. When the synagogue official's daughter dies, and we'll look at that account, um, they call him teacher. The crowd calls him teacher. Uh, there's, a, there's a man within the crowd that when his, when his son is demon-possessed, he calls Jesus teacher. And then someone out of the crowd runs up to Jesus and says, teacher, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? Teach me. Teach me, teacher. And then finally, the religious leaders. This is all found in Mark chapter 12. We'll look at the last episode, but there's three episodes. The religious leaders, uh, the first one, uh, first group come to and talk about taxes and Caesar. The second group question Jesus about the resurrection. Teach, teacher, teach us. Teach us about the resurrection. We don't believe in resurrection, but teach us anyway. We're not here to learn anything. We're here to catch you. We're here to make you stumble. Um, and then finally, the last religious leader asked the question, what is the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Which was the great debate of that time. And we'll take a look at that one. And so in the series, we're looking at the larger narrative. And so we're going to just hit on uh, three of these accounts and, and just pull some things out, see what we could glean. Mark 4, 37 through 41. And there rose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boats. So much of the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Odd. I find this odd. Uh, like, why go to your teacher when you're about to die? What's, what's the, like, Ray Stuckey, I mean, he taught... PE, and I don't remember, like, some of you guys remember, like, your kindergarten teachers? Like, I'm always amazed when people remember, I don't remember any teachers other than Ray Stuckey, and it's not because he was a great teacher. <laughs> he taught PE, and that was my hour off every day for four years, three years, so that's why I remember that man. Uh, he assigned me zero homework. He was, in my mind at that point, my best teacher, but not a great teacher. You know what I'm saying. Um, Lake Galilee is smaller than, what's our uh, Flathead, Flathead Lake. It's smaller than Flathead Lake. It's, it's uh, I think, roughly half or a third of the size of Flathead Lake. But like Flathead Lake, if you get a strong storm that comes in, you don't want to be there. And that's what's going on here. Uh, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I think the disciples are coming to Jesus because they're like, this guy is the closest man to God that I know, and he's right here. <laughs> Maybe he'll pray for us. Think about all the other great miracle workers of the Bible. They always had to work through the agency of God himself, right? They always needed something outside of them to resolve whatever problem was there in order to enact some kind of miracle. They come to him as teacher and they didn't realize how much they needed to learn about who this Jesus is. 
Logan last week said that if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know the person of Jesus, you have to come to the scriptures. You have to come to these gospel accounts because that's how you know him. Jesus is not a concept. He's not an idea. He's a person who died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and still answers prayers today. And oh, by the way, he pays attention to what happens within his churches, right? We see that in the book of Revelation. And so maybe we should pay attention to the fact that he's paying attention to what we got going on here and how we're conducting business. But he's a person, and we should introduce people to the person of Jesus through these gospel accounts. The next account that we'll take a look at is Mark 5, 35 through 42. While he was uh, still speaking, they came to the house of a synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? So Jesus is is walking along with this uh, synagogue official, synagogue official saying, hey, will you save my daughter? She's, She's sick. Come save her. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come with you. Show me where she's at. And while they're still having this conversation, the crowd from the house comes and tells the synagogue official that the teacher's too late. His teaching won't help. Let him go. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to come to him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. Uh, In that culture, if someone passes away, if someone dies, um, there's a week-long mourning process, and, and they sit in it. We sit in it for like an hour <laughs> as a community. We'll show up for an hour or two and then eat some food and leave. Uh, not their culture. they very different. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Now, Jesus' response here always amazes me because uh, I've concluded this. We see death one way, and God sees it another. To us, death is permanent. We have zero control over it. But that's not God's reality. And Jesus tells them, hey, I see things differently. And they began to laugh at him. Again, that like, I'd like to wrestle with that some more, but it's just a, it's an odd response. Like they're weeping one moment and the next moment they're laughing. That's, I, I, I get them being surprised, but the laughter, that is an odd response. But putting them out, out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, uh, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Jesus speaks to 
her in Aramaic. He speaks in, a, in, in the most common tongue available to the people at that time. And um, one commentator said that oftentimes when, when, when people would look to speak over someone or, or bring an incantation or, or raise someone from the dead or you know, try, to, try to do some kind of miracle, they would use some kind of secret language. And Jesus uses the most common language available. Mark is the only one who captures this phrase. The other gospel writers don't. And so uh, even the Romans would probably understand what this phrase meant. Uh, immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old. Immediately they were completely astounded. So Again, the crowd, the crowd comes in and says, hey, he's a smart guy. He's got some cool sayings, but he can't help now. Probably should have helped her when she was alive. And Jesus comes in and he teaches and again, he, he doesn't need some outside source of power in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He used the most basic words that are available to him to raise a little girl from the dead. The crowd underestimated Jesus. And I, and I find that that's oftentimes the case with the, the crowd around me, that my friends that are just loosely connected to me as a pastor, uh, loosely connected to my faith, like, like they don't disagree with me, but, but they haven't totally connected to who Jesus is himself. And I think they underestimate who he is. But if I'm honest, I have to say that I underestimate who Jesus is. I underestimate what he's capable of. I oftentimes come to him like this is an impossible situation, even for you, teacher. And I wonder, how do you handle that? When things are hard when things seem dead, when things seem like there's zero recovery, zero fixes, do you throw up your hands and say, you should have been here? And so that's the crowd. But there's, there's one more group I want to look at, and that's the religious leaders of that time. Uh, and a scribe is a religious leader. Uh, we're told in Mark chapter 12, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. So there's, there's already, Jesus is at, is at the Temple Mount, and he's already having these conversations with other religious leaders. And all the religious leaders of that time are, are one by one coming to Jesus, trying to catch him, trying to trip him up, trying to prove that he's, yeah, he may, be a, he may be a good teacher, but he's not a great teacher. 
and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? We'll just go with the bonus question for the day, right? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, uh, we're going to cover, I don't know, five more verses. And you got to remember that Mark is, is the... Uh, He's the Reader's Digest version of all the other Gospels, right? Like he's the Cliff Notes version. Like if you want to read a Gospel really quick, you go to Mark. Mark seems to share the least amount of detail of all the Gospel writers, except for in a few spots, and this is one of them. This is one of those places where Mark captures more than all the other Gospel writers and so the scribe said to him, teacher, right teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no one else beside him. What, what's that about? Uh, that's, that's still a common debate today within, between Judaism and, and Christianity. Uh, the Jews would say that we are polytheistic because we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Right? They're going, no, no, God is one. And there is no one else besides him. Uh, the, the problem is, both in the Greek and Hebrew, the words that they choose to capture this story, whether, uh, and, and cap capture this phrase, the Lord is one, uh, which comes right out of uh, Deuteronomy. Um, the, the word, the Hebrew and the Greek word both can mean one as in one man, one woman, one day, but it could also mean one in agreement. The first time it's used is in Genesis um, 2, when we're told that the husband and the wife shall become one. Now tell me, husbands and wives, <laughs> how's that working out for you? How's that oneness working out? Are you always, are you, are, are you ever a singular person? Like, I hope not. I, I know most of the couples in this room haven't met you yet, Lisa Marie, but uh, heard about you. Uh, heard all good things, by the way. <laughs> I will state that up front. Um, but, but, I, but I love the distinctiveness of, of each of you as a couple. But I also love the agreement that you guys, you couples bring together. See, and I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure why it's infathomable that, that, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could be in agreement could be echad, could be one, but they don't apply that to the husband. Like they somehow see that separate or different for, and, and that, that's what this teacher is saying. He's going, yeah, you, there's limits on who you are, Jesus. There's limits on who you are. Uh, 
Do you think Jesus will answer him? <laughs> He's a teacher. He'll, he'll love to answer him. Um, so there's no, there was no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. Now, that is an amazing uh, statement. And Jesus agrees with him. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever been not far to someplace. Like, let's say you, you go down to Southern California and you're not far from Disneyland. Are you there yet? No, you're not. But you're not far, which is better than where we're at today, right? I bet it's warmer down there. Um, and after that, no one ventured to ask him any more questions. And Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes, he just had a conversation with the scribe, say that the Christ is the son of David. David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord is said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself called him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And a large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Jesus is addressing the scribe's argument that there is no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one. But Jesus goes right back to the scriptures and says, wait a minute. And I believe it's, it comes right out of Psalm 101. Uh, how is he... If he's David's Lord, how is he his son as well? See, I think the religious leader came saying, Teacher, I understand my Bible. I understand my scriptures. You can't teach me. I've got this all figured out. And that's the most dangerous way for us to ever approach Jesus is with a closed heart, a heart that says, you can't teach me anything. I've got this all figured out. I've got this all figured out. And, and our first implication is this, the teaching of Jesus will do you very little good if you come to him with a closed heart. It'll do you very little good. You can read it over and over again. Hope you're all right, brother. <laughs> Hopefully that's just water, not coffee. Um, but if you, you can read the scriptures over and over and over again, but, but if you come with a closed heart, if you come with, you know, there's, there's plenty of scholars that they want to say, well, Jesus didn't say this. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus couldn't have, Jesus definitely, you know, didn't walk on water. He, he didn't solve this problem. He didn't solve, he didn't really raise from the dead. There's scholars that have read the scriptures over and over and over again 
only to never really learn from Jesus. And again, Jesus, he's not an idea. He's a person. But alternatively, if you're willing to wrestle with his teachings, you'll never stop growing and you won't grow bored. You, like every teacher I've ever had, especially Ray Stuckey, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I don't I just, I'm surprised I can remember any teacher's name at all because I'm just so bad at remembering. I moved 10 times. No, I moved 18 times in 18 years. I went to 10 different schools. So just zero connection to my uh, education growing up or, or at least the educators themselves. Um, but like every teacher I've ever listened to, at some point, you know, I might have thought that they were the most amazing thing in the world. But eventually, I learned everything that I could learn from them. I don't ever stop learning when I go to the scriptures. I don't ever stop learning about who God is. I don't ever stop learning about who I am and who God wants me to be and what he wants to do in and through me. Always growing. Always learning. When I come with an open heart. And unfortunately, that's just not always true. I don't always show up ready to learn. I don't always show up with an open heart. I control that part. The second implication is this. Many times the gospel is presented as a means to save us from something. Think in terms of uh, maybe you've had a gospel tract given to you. Uh, I've been I've been witness to more as a pastor than I than I did before as a pastor. I don't know what that's about. Maybe maybe it's just more apparent that I'm a heathen now than it was before when I was working in the military, or maybe I just blended in better because I wore camouflage. Who knows? Um, but if you got in a gospel track and someone hands it off to you, you know they they, they want you to know that that um, the gospel saves you from something. It either saves you from, from sin or hell or brokenness or, or, or all above. And I'm not saying that that's not part of the gospel message. But Mark presents the gospel as an imitation to someone. The imitation is always towards Jesus and all that he is and all that he offers. And my question for you is, have you said yes to everything that he is and everything that he offers? Have you said yes to that relationship? Because the crowd didn't catch it. They were entertained. They were excited. Wow. Good teaching, Jesus. Nothing different about their lives for those that came with a closed heart. Nothing different about how they lived. Amazing teachings on, on uh, sacrifices and, and all that. You know, if we just take care of people, those are good things. 
Mark isn't presenting an idea. He presents a person. A person for you to draw near to, to be enamored with, to grow with, to be taught by, so that your life will be forever changed. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come join us for worship. Service times, location, and loads of other fun stuff can be found on our mobile app or our website. You can find our mobile app by searching for Mission Ridge Church in your app store. Our website can be found at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.